0: Well, we are looking at the lures of evil, trying to identify them, and we've looked at the definition last time. We find that one of the things Satan does in his attack is to attack the institutions that are divinely established uh, by the Lord God. Number one is volition, and uh, even science is trying to do away with that now, marriage, family, nation. I put church in as a divine institution in there. It's something new and set up for us as uh, in the church age, and I guess part of what what led me to add that to that is the uh, I've just been going back through it, uh, the doctrine of it, and trying to get it all together in a more comprehensive way. But um, you know what what the Lord has called us to do, and what's going on in the church. I received a phone call this uh, today uh from a young man um, and he said can you talk to me about the modern church what do you think about the modern church and i s- said well i think they've got a whole lot of fluff and not a lot of substance to them and i said that's pretty well my my opinion and uh, we were talking and then he got interrupted and i got interrupted and we are going to resume that conversation later He's asking what's going on in the church. And I think what's going on in the church is they become too close to the world. that you can't even tell the difference. It's hard to tell the difference between Christians and unbelievers in a lot of different ways. Now, evil is reprehensible to God in any form, because he is absolute righteousness. So evil he does not like, he does not appreciate. It's part of his plan, he knew it was going to happen, his omniscience accounted for all of it, all the good decisions, all the bad decisions, all the no decisions. He understood and he put together this amazing plan. But he told us in the middle of this plan, if you want to be on the right side of the plan and really have some insight into what's going on, you need to be able to identify how the evil one works. Now, you don't need to study the devil to the point if you forget about studying God. You don't need to study all the counterfeits to the point that you forget about studying the truth because uh, it's one of the lures. It's one of the lures. I know people... Uh, years and years ago, then we started talking about the new age movement and what the new age movement was up to, and things like this. And the next thing you know, they're so they're so embedded in this thing that it it become an it became a distraction because they were not doing things that were building up the faith, but rather studying all this. And when you find the study of the cult, and you go, that's fascinating you probably ought to run at that point in time because you just maybe have reached the line and don't need to cross over it. Because it is... uh, I know pastors (coughs) who were investigating such things uh, and uh, uh, actually uh, had some experiences that if it wouldn't have come from the people it came from, I'd have really questioned. But they had some uh, experiences that were not good because they got too close to the to the wrong side of the wrong side of the coin so <clears throat> when, it, when you find it and you say it's fascinating it is fascinating it's a true statement but when you reach that point and you start putting aside studying the real thing in order to study all the tricks he uses it's a mistake but we do need to know and we need to have a good comprehensive viewpoint of how he works and how he uses us against ourselves because he's a master at that. And sometimes people, the old devil made me do it. He doesn't care about you unless you're a world leader or something like that. It's just, you're not, his forces and stuff are out to try and distract. But you know what he's got to do with most of the human race? Leave them alone. That's all he's got to do. They are going to run to evil themselves. And <clears throat> why? Why is this society getting to where it is right now. That's part of what we're trying to, to look at here. We've seen that there are four big categories of rejection of God's plan. The first is rejection of the gospel. Uh, I first time I did angelic conflict, I came up with a thing called negative volition one, two, three, and four. And negative volition one was rejection of the gospel. So I've pulled out the old terminology and put in the new terminology, but it's the same principle. When people reject the gospel, that's evil. It's not of God. It is an affront to his character. It's calling the Holy Spirit a liar. I mean, where do you want to stop here? To not accept the gospel is is evil. We also see that people embrace evil through a lack of concentration. Maybe they know the right thing to do, but stop thinking about it. See, a lot of people go and get their church for one hour on Sunday or Saturday or whenever time that they go and they go get their church and they leave it behind and the Christian life is left inside the structure that they went to meet in. Well, the structure is supposed to be a place of preparation so when you leave there that you can function in a Christian manner. That's what it's supposed to be. Not supposed to be just a feel-good thing to make you feel good for a little bit, um, you know, marshmallows. anybody like marshmallows in here? I like uh, Danny held up one finger. I like one. Okay, after that it's too much. Okay, and I like one about once a year. Okay, now <clears throat> the people want all that high sugar content type of stuff so that they can get all pumped up. And what happens whenever the sugar high wears off? There's a crash sometime during the middle of the week. People are not studying the Word as they should study the Word, and as a result, they don't have any real substance to fall back on. They evaluate things based on how they feel. Well... If there's no concentration on the Word of God, if you did learn something on Sunday or Wednesday or something like that, and you're not trying to figure out how does this apply in this situation, and that's not a conscious effort on a regular basis in your life, your sin nature is going to run your life. That's what's going to happen. Because your sin nature is there all the time. You have to consciously decide to not use it. Because it will let you use it. All the time until your senses are trained to discern good and evil. And then you can It's not go on autopilot. You can at least have your yourself trained to do the right thing in the right, in the, in the right way at the right time. Now, <clears throat> there's a rejection through a distortion of truth for personal gain. And that's the Balaam context where people understand things, but they figure out how to use it and manipulate it and, uh, and gain wealth out of it. And then there 's a the rejection because of knowing the truth, but just not living it and that 's what a lot of people decide to do well it 's okay until you life face this situation well we 're supposed to do the right thing let God work it out. We saw some special warnings that concerning evil we 're not to be overcome by it romans twelve twenty one we 're coming up on romans twelve i 'm looking forward to getting there and getting there quickly because There's where we get in the commands. There's where we get into Paul says, take all this theology. This is all great theology. How do we live in this thing? Yeah, and then the commands pick up in 12. We've only had like seven of them through the first 11 chapters. We have 56 of them between 12 and 16. So anyway, we have seen that uh, the, the third point is that unbelievers are involved in evil whether or not they believe it or realize it. So they're already trapped by it, and they need a means of escape. Now, unbelievers, until things get so bad, they get sick and tired of being sick and tired. Okay, Unbelievers oftentimes don't even know that they are trapped by evil. They think they're trapped by the world, trapped by society, trapped by everything but the evil one. But 2 Corinthians 4, 3 and 4 says, Even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving, that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Now, how does he blind them? Does he actually reach into their soul and make them not believe? I don't think he has the power to do that. But what he does is put up such an amazing smoke screen... Uh, you can save the world. You can save the planet. You can, you can save yourself that their minds get blinded to what? The light of the good news of the glory of Messiah, who is the image of God. He's, he's God in the flesh. So, unbelievers are involved in evil, whether they realize it or not. Now, for their unbelief, they face the wrath of God. And that's the, that's the way it is. That's what God has said. Now there's, you know, if you're a, if you're an unbeliever and, and you got this sense that there's something beyond this life and you just can't shake this life, then one of the things you're going to want to do is get rid of all the rules you can get rid of, right? You're going to want to get rid of all the moral rules that you might violate. And of course you want to impose them on other people, but you don't want to be accountable for anything as an unbeliever. What we've seen is a society that not only has unbelievers in it, but a lot of believers acting like unbelievers. Romans 1 is specifically directed towards unbelievers. We know that the God has been seen through what He has made. Romans 1.18. We have seen <clears throat> also uh, this this description in here that they uh, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. You think that might hit the information overload society that we have right now? We think we're smart. We have the 30-minute genius on the Internet that can look it all up. In 30 minutes, they can tell you everything you need to know about everything. But what did they not get? Discernment. They hadn't been taught about discernment between right and wrong, absolutes and And non absolutes. How do you how do you have a positive absolute? This is what you're supposed to do, and a negative absolute because everything is relative. It's what they're taught from an early age in school. Now, for their unbelief, they do face the wrath of God, and that they're involved in evil. In fact, if we read on through all of that, which we're not going to do tonight, says they're inventors of evil. It's one of the markers of condemnation of an unbeliever. And whenever they go, go absolutely wild, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools, exchanged the truth of God for a lie, worshipped and served the created rather than the creator. Okay, what happened? God gave them over to depraved mind. And out of that, they, they became unrighteous, wicked, greedy, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, gossip, slayers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, and disobedient to parents. Without understanding. Now, most unbelievers think that they're loaded with understanding. Today, in our society, they think they have made an informed decision. Have you talked to any unbelievers in recent history? You know, a lot of times we Christians don't even engage unbelievers. We run from them. We run from them. But to be ready to in, engage them, you're going to find out that they really think they know it all. They do. They think they've made a wise decision. They've researched it on the internet and as a result, this is why they don't believe in God. This is why they made a decision to move from being an agnostic to an atheist. They think that they're smarter than other people. Professing themselves wise, they became fools. Now, <clears throat> where do you find a standard and an absolute standard by which you can find a hill willing that's worth dying on? Where do you do this? You go back to the very basics. Now, unbelievers face the wrath of God. And sometimes churches don't even want to talk about that. They fall into the relativism of good and not so good decisions instead of good decisions and evil decisions. You know, good decisions, righteous decisions, and sinful decisions. They don't even want to talk about those things because people don't like to hear about their sin. Well... Why don't they like to hear about their sin? Because their sin, nature, doesn't want to be exposed. That's why. They're following the evil one. Unbelievers are following the evil one. Whether they know it or not, a lot of unbelievers will tell you there's not even a devil. There's not even a devil. One uh, philosopher said the most effective thing the devil ever did was convince people he didn't exist. Okay, that's a handy situation. But they're following the evil one whose fate is sealed, Matthew 13. Even believers can follow the evil one who tracks followers through the sin nature. Even believers can do this. There are a lot of churches out there saying if you're really a believer, you're not going to do certain things. If you're really a believer, you're going to produce a certain brand of fruit. I had this conversation yesterday, in fact, about where's the proof of your fruit? I want to know, can I judge the fruit that you've done? The only way I can judge the fruit you've done is if you've done it good to me. Right? But I still can't judge your attitude. I can't judge why you did it. But the only way I can possibly be a judge is if I'm a witness to the act. So, yeah, should we do good? We should do good. But can I judge that? And the answer is no, I can't do that. And yet a lot of Christians are looking for fruit. And a lot of the fruit comes from the private parts gifts that nobody sees. They're things that goes on behind the scenes. They're done without the fanfare. They're done without the television and radio and all the billboard advertising that goes goes uh, with it. Second Corinthians 11, three, and, uh, 3 says, I'm afraid lest is the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, by his guile, by his lures of evil. Your minds be led astray. Your minds, whose minds? The Corinthian minds. Are they believers? Yes. Chapter 1, verse 2 of First Corinthians. They're believers. Your minds, believers, be led astray by the simplicity or from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. So, Paul writes about it in the first century, about 57 AD, and he says even believers can be led astray. And what's going on? Believers are being led astray. Now, the sin nature promotes evil from the inside of mankind. Once we're born again, we're a new creation. That new creation cannot sin. That new creation will one day get a new body, and it will be so new that we'll be able to look on Jesus just as he is, First John chapter 3. That's a beautiful chapter that we have there. But what's on going on on the inside now? On the inside is a battle between the Holy Spirit and the sin nature. And it is a war. It literally is a war. Do we, do we ever get tempted to judge others wrongfully? Every day, probably, if we're honest about it, every day, we can we can offer up a judgment about why did that waitress bring that hot food supposed to be hot out cold? Were they just lazy? Were they unorganized? Were they this? Were they that? Were they what happened in the back? Were they not even supposed to bring it out? We don't know how it got out there, but I mean, there's simple little things that that. Uh, Happen. Mark 7 21 through23, uh, go ahead and turn there with me uh, or it's actually written out, isn't it? it?s it written out? Don't bother to turn there. Okay the sin nature promotes evil from the inside of mankind. Now one of the big things that, that the sin nature does is make us a master at excuses. We know the right thing to do and don't do it. Okay, that's negative volition four or reject. We know what to do; we just choose not to do it. It makes us a master of excuses. It says, "For from within." Now, these are the words of Jesus. People that say, "Well, that was age of Israel, and that's only kingdom talk," are sure missing a wealth of stuff here. <laughs> As Jesus, according to one Timothy six three, is the one that defines sound doctrine. From within, out of the heart of men. I think you could put women there. I think that's... (laughs) Okay, just to not get too literal here. There is a figure of speech. It's a metonymy of the part for the whole. And so, there it is. Proceed the evil thoughts. Kakos is inherently evil. Dia legismos. Legismos is a word that uh, looks at a thought, a logical thought, a reasoning. Dia on the front of it means to reason through it. So it's not just like you've thought about it in an instant and made a decision. This is something that has been thought about over a period of time. So it is that which is inherently evil. He says, from within, out of the heart of men come evil thoughts. Sounds a lot like what got the pre-flood generation in trouble. Their hearts were set only on evil continually. Okay? So here is, and this is right at the front, evil thoughts. And then he says, fornications, pornea. It is the uh, sin that involves uh, intimate sexual activity outside of marriage. Okay? Then we have, and which Jesus addresses, and he dressed had, addressed earlier in Matthew chapter 5 already as a mental attitude sin. A man who lusts after a woman in his heart has committed adultery with her already. It's a mental attitude sin. Thefts. Klopos. Uh, that's uh, taking something that's not yours. There's A lot of different ways that it can be done. Um, taking something, of course, we know the breaking and entering, the stealth, we know the armed robbery, we know different ways that that is done, but thefts of thefts of uh, people's time, just because we're so self-centered, we've got to dominate everything. I mean, there's a lot of different types of things that fit thefts. Murders. Uh, We know from Jesus that can be mental attitude, hating your brother. It can be verbal, cursing your brother, (laughs) or it can be literal, killing your brother. So it can murders. This, this stuff has a lot of uh, far reaching things. Adulteries moachila moachia. If we were to track that word down you could find out that spiritual adultery is co- idolatry. Idolatry is spiritual adultery and it is actually called that in the, some of the uses of this word. Deeds of coveting pleonexia. That's the old you got it I want it type of thing. And wickedness ponerea that's which that which becomes evil. kakos it's evil in and of itself. This is the word wickedness that which becomes evil. That could be in the sense of manipulation. Okay, now how did a lot of people get along in this life? With a sin nature? And not really a walking in the light attitude of I wanna do that which is pleasing in the eyes of the Lord. It's it uh, a lot of it. I think um, comes out of um, I lost my train of thought by that rabbit trail here. So it'll it'll come back around anyway. Deeds of covening We want what what they have, and and willing to do about anything to get to it. And out of that comes manipulation. That's where I was going. Okay. And that we figure out ways to manipulate people to sound good, to tell partial truths, to do all these. See, to tell tell a partial truth is good. You're telling truth, okay? But to do it to manipulate somebody, it's a poneros. It becomes evil. There's a problem with that. Deeds of covening, wickedness, as well as deceit. Deceit's dalos, and that is the word that means bait. Okay, It's a word that means just like you're going to catch a fish. See, Satan is a fisher of men also, and he uses bait. Okay? We're supposed to be fishers of men. We're supposed to use the right bait, which is good news, which is grace. Okay? He uses the wrong bait, which is what? You've got to do all these things in order to atone for your sins. You've got to do all these things to work your way into heaven. Yeah, there really is another life, but you've got to work to get there. Well, deceit, sensuality, also a word that is used to um, uh, to denote uh, just the sexual uh, innuendos, the sexual things beyond uh, the pornea words. Envy, this is a word that says ophthalmos poneiros." I left a T out of that. Should be op we get ophthalmology out of out of this particular word. It means an evil eye. Now what is that? <laughs> Sometimes I hear I do when I do funeral, somebody said, You know, mom had that look. She could give you that look. I don't think that's really the evil eye <laughs> that is being involved here because usually they don't mean evil upon you. They mean <laughs> You're going to get evil upon you. you don't, don't stop what you're doing, but the the evil eye here means uh, again you're looking with envy, with covetousness. You're looking to harm or destroy somebody in order to take what is there. So it's an, it's another step beyond the the coveting. It's one thing to go. Hey, I, I I like your car. I'd like to have your car. Okay, that could be the, the envy type of thing. But when you the eye kind of squints and turns, you go, know, this is how I can get it. Okay, then that's where it's moved into that evil eye. Um it's part of putting a curse on somebody. That's kind of how this word was used in in um ancient Greek Indicating you're going to put a curse on somebody so you can get what they've got. So that's the evil eye, slander, blasphemia. That's to tell a lie about somebody. Pride, huper phrenia. That's a uh, that fr- those friend words, phr type of words that deals with the mind. So huper is above. So it is a high-minded type of. Of pride. Some of the words for pride indicate just to be puffed up, inflated. This is a word that means it's a high-minded thing that I'm a upper caste, you're lower caste, I'm an elite, you're a low life. I mean, it's that, that type of attitude. And foolishness, afrosenai. All these evil things proceed from within and defile the man. This is in the context of the Pharisees getting all over Jesus because his disciples ate with unwashed hands. I.e., they didn't follow all the procedures prescribed in the Talmud to get your hands ceremonially clean, so they went after Jesus and his disciples over that. Now, the sin nature promotes evil from the inside of man. We know that sin is a part of evil. There are three types of, of sin. There's imputed sin. We've been through these recently. We're not going to spend a lot of time on them. This is the original sin of Adam that gets passed down to every member of the human race. There is inherent sin, and out of that, the result of the imputed sin of Adam is a, is a nature... Uh, that entices, enables them to commit personal acts of sin. So you inherited from your daddy a nature that is headed in the wrong direction. Okay? That's the sin nature. And then personal sins. And these are actions that violate God's standards, mental attitude, language sins, and overt sins. Now the result of inherent sin is the sin nature whose trend is to commit personal sin. That's how the three interrelate with each other. And <clears throat> I, you know, I've seen people argue, is it an old sin nature? Is it a sinful trend of Adam? Is it the sinful nature of man? And I've seen people argue over the terminology, terminology that's used. There's something genetically resides inside of us that gives us a tendency to do various things. Passed down genetically is the only way you can explain all the passages. To realize that that is what is what is going on and and uh, how it happens. The, it's in fact argue over the terminology is a function of the sin nature S T A O S N S N M whatever you want to call it. Okay. That's what it is. It's just an argument over nomenclature and it's useless wranglings about words. The problem is we got something on the inside of us we're gonna have until we get another body. And a new body won't have it for believers. So that's that's the that's the bottom line. Now the sin nature resides in the body of flesh, seeks to control the soul. Multiple passages there. Representative passages, Romans 7. We're not going to go through these passages. The functions of the sin nature are hostile to God, and they can't please God in any way. And that's Romans 8. So we find that this sin nature on the inside of us is playing into Satan's hands unless we consciously get involved in trying to stop it. Okay. To do that, we have to know what we're fighting against. We have to know, first of all, who we are, which is Satan and his forces. And then we have to know we're also fighting from the inside because we have a tendency away from God as it is. Now, that's Romans chapter 8, verse 7 and 8. Those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. And he's talking to believers no condemnation of those who are in Christ Jesus. The first verse here, verse 3, talks about walking in the light. Okay, and then he says, Hey, where's your mind at? Where's your head set? The mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the spirit is life and peace. Because the mindset on the flesh is hostile toward God. For it does not subject itself to the law of God, it's not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. If you're functioning in carnality, which is what he told the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 3, and he's warning the Romans about right here, if you're functioning that way, you're not pleasing God. Okay, So, needless to say, to please God, we should want to know how we don't function in carnality. Now, what are the markers of the sin nature? And this is preaching to the choir for you guys have heard this stuff, it's not getting brand new stuff dumped on you but from time to time we need to be reminded of the way this thing works because the sin nature began with a trend away from God before sin had occurred Genesis 3 1 through 5, so go ahead and Turn there to Genesis 3 with me, if you would. We're going to start talking about sin, sin nature, where did it come from, what does it do, what, what are the markers of it? If we look at progressive revelation, and consider progressive revelation, we find out a lot about the sin of Adam and its effects right there. And... If it's passed on to every member of the human race, and it is, what's passed on to us? That's not difficult logic. Okay, so we're going to find out, in part, the way the sin nature works and what we need to be on guard for just by not just skimming these passages, but getting a view. The serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, as God said... You shall not eat from any tree of the garden. Sounds like the Overton window effect, where you say something so absurd over here, then you say no, and you try to correct it over here, but what you end up doing is moving closer to the absurd. Okay, if you're not careful. Well, here it is. You shall not eat from any tree of the garden. That's absurd to Eve. So... And the woman straightened him out and said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat. Literally, it's we shall eat. They're going If she's going to be carrying this this command given in chapter 2, It we shall. But from the fruit of the tree, which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat from it or touch it, lest you die. And there's always that discussion over to God say, Touch it. God didn't say it. It's in the sense that it's not recorded. I'm not saying he didn't say it. I'm saying we don't build doctrines off of innuendos like that. But he didn't say that, and he was pretty clear about what he did say. Adam. Okay, so I think, you know, Occam's razor here, you take the simplest interpretation, you go with it. I think we're safer to do, to do that. <clears throat> And the serpent said to the woman, You shall surely not die. Another absurd statement. Okay, because God said, said they would. But you shall surely not. The total contradiction of God. For God knows in the day that you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now that was the bait. He was dragging that bait right in front of that tree. And <clears throat> he went after her. Now, she's kind of got a trance. She's not concentrating here. She got a talking snake. Did she talk to him every day before that? I don't know. We're not told that. What we are told is that he was more crafty than any beast of the field. Did she know that? Did she discern that? How could she have discerned that? Well, uh, <clears throat> you know, little kids, I love little kids. Because things stick so fast. If you notice that, you can say a bad word, and they can pick that word up and use it in context, just like that. They're a sponge; stuff is getting soaked into them, like like that. And and she is she is <clears throat> uh, not concentrating. Did she notice that snake before? Maybe. Because you can bet, they talk about a kid in a candy store where they're doing taking in everything they can take in. They're a new creation. They're in a they're in a garden. I don't think they were in there very long. Some people say they were in there. I oh, could have been in there for a thousand years before before the serpent came. I don't think so. I think there've been a bunch of little atoms running around because be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth was given in chapter one. Okay. And I don't think it took them long to figure out how that happened. A lot of jokes that go with that and I'll leave them for tonight. Anyway, when a woman saw that the tree was good for food and it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and she ate and she gave also to her husband with her Hebrew and he ate. One word in the Hebrew. Now, the sin was disobedience. Disobedience. So adherent the sin nature, passed on to us, is disobedience. Okay? It takes a while to teach a child, a newborn child, to be obedient. You don't have to teach them to be disobedient. It takes them a while to teach them to be obedient. And it says, Then the eyes of both of them were opened. They knew they were naked. And they sewed the fig, the fig leaves together and made themselves Loin coverings. Okay, they covered themselves up. Now, <clears throat> we know that the sin was disobedience. We know that Eve was deceived. So the Bible tells us in 1 Timothy 2.14, she was deceived. She was faked out of her shoes here. Still did not remove the discipline, did it? That was her discipline. Is intense. His discipline is intense. But it did not remove the discipline because she was deceived. Now, what about a bunch of people running around today whose sin natures have deceived them? If they're unbelievers, they're still going to end up in the lake of fire. And that's sad because they don't have to be there. If they're believers, they they should have known better. If they didn't bother to study to show themselves approved unto God, if they didn't bother to do those things at all, they're still accountable. If they're believers, then they're never going to live the life that God has set in front of them in in time. Now, Eve was deceived. Adam knew what he was doing. Fallen mankind then possessed a sinful nature, passed on through the man. It has its identifying markers sin That's disobedience. That's rebellion against God. That's missing the mark. That's violating laws that he has set up and established. That's verse 6 of Genesis 3. Guilt. That comes with it. It's a guilt complex. Hey, I did bad. I did wrong. The eyes of both of them were open. They knew they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together and they made themselves loin coverings. The next thing they did was legalistic because why, why would they make loin coverings? Who told them to do that? Why would they try to do this? Would you think maybe out of the guilt said, well, maybe we can save ourselves? Our problem is we're naked. Maybe we can save ourselves, so we're going to cover ourselves up here. It's man trying to save themselves and look good before God. Okay? Trying to look good before God all by himself. So legalism comes with the sin nature. That's not usually recognized. <clears throat> but we like laws, don't we? For everybody else. We don't want any for ourselves, but we want them for everybody else. <clears throat> and then, you also notice from that verse, there was a possession of a knowledge of a pseudo-good. So there's not wrong with making not anything wrong with making clothing, okay, but they were naked and not ashamed. That was something that was good. The two of them were open with each other. They had a perfect marriage. Think about that. They had a perfect marriage. Some would say, well, it couldn't be perfect or they wouldn't have fallen apart like that. But they had a perfect marriage, okay. It was made by God, put in they were put in paradise, put in a garden made by God. Okay, had every kind of tree to eat from that they could possibly want to eat. They were told actually to eat from all of them except one. That was the command. And so what what did they do? They thought, well, golly, now we've disobeyed, we have we're guilty. We know we're guilty. We're going to try to look good in front of God anyway. They had this pseudo good. You'll be like God knowing good and evil. They had this pseudo good. What is this pseudo good? Well, we can save ourselves. What is this pseudo good? We're independent. We had a term one time, long time ago, called self-sustaining Christians. We get so much information from the Bible put in and we become self-sustaining Christians. And let me tell you, that's nothing but arrogance. Because we're supposed to be dependent on God no matter where we are, at what level in our life. We're supposed to be dependent on Him. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6, lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge Him. He will make your path straight. See, that's, where the, that's where Christians, even well-meaning Christians, can get sucked into the system and not even realize it. People who are trying to study the Word of God and learn the Word of God got sucked into a satanic system without even realizing it. Another thing we got sucked into is prosperity theology. Because if we got everything done right, God was going to bless us and give us our SG2, our blessing in time. And that always had something, usually always had something to do with money. Even though I was not taught that way, that that was one possibility based on Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, and Solomon, all those. That's one possibility, but that's usually where those without any money ended up going, hey, that'd be nice. So if I get everything done this way, you know, I'm going to feel good all the time. If I get air, I can handle any situation. I can never be moved by anybody else's pain. I don't have to have any compassion on anybody else either, because if I show any compassion, then I'm weak and I'm not applying doctrine. Wow. There's problems with that. We know there's problems now. But a lot of us get sucked into that. And it took. Uh, Took an awakening to even figure out what was going on. But when we start to realize what is the sin nature really about? Being independent of God. If I get all this knowledge and I don't even need to talk to Him, worship Him, communicate with Him other than sit and read or listen to somebody or fill up a notebook, then... We've left out a part of it. And anytime you get out of whack and out of balance, bad things happen. Now, in, <clears throat> in verse 8, it says, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Uh, literally, says wind or breeze, and that's ruach. That's the word for spirit. And the spiritual time of the day. Looks like the Lord showed up every day. just about sunset. You know, it's it's interesting in the cool of the day, prior to the flood, with the canopy over, there wasn't a uh, big differential in the temperature gradients. Because if there had been a big differential, there'd have been wind currents set up. With wind currents set up, there'd have been rain, and there wasn't any rain. So there was a dew that used to come up. So there wasn't a big a big differential of um, of. Uh, Time, but it said cool of the day, so it cooled off four or five degrees, enough for a dew to come up off of the earth. And he says, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Come here, honey, we're going to go for a walk. (laughs) As God's usually here, we're going here. Okay? How big was this garden? I'm going to ask God one of these days. I mean, it's one of these things that... It's you know it's kind of like there was a rabbit in our backyard yesterday, and he's trying to hide, and he's going <laughs> he's just stationary, you know, no matter what you did, he's like you can't see me, <laughs> yes, I can, <laughs> well, anyway, here they are out in this out in the orchard out there, <laughs> and I wonder. How big were the trees? I'm going to ask a lot of these things. See, you know, these little they were producing fruit, but they don't have to be real big to produce fruit. So I mean there's a lot of the, I don't think they were really hidden very well. So anyway, what that in with the sin nature? Fear. Fear drives a big part of mankind. went through some sales school training. One of the things that they say is one of the strongest tools to sell somebody something is the fear of loss. What do you do? You lay it out there, take it from them. If you don't, call the impending event technique. You tell them, the sale's going to be off tonight when we close. You are not going to get this car. You're not going to get this house. You're not going to get this video game. You're not going to get it at this price unless you buy it now. Fear and they've got fear, just look it up on Wikipedia. there's hundreds of different things that we're afraid of. Fear is one of the big driving forces in our life. Now there's a healthy fear, the fear of the Lord's the beginning of knowledge. <clears throat> but the most repeated command in the New Testament is fear not for I'm with thee, okay because love cast out fear. That's not the way we're supposed to live, but what what came of the sin nature fear. You see it again in verse 10. <clears throat> and the man said, I heard the sound of thee in the garden. I wonder if he used the old English when the Lord showed up here. And I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid myself. I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid myself. I solved my own problem. <laughs> okay, what's the problem, Adam? You're afraid. Why are you afraid, Adam. So there is a fear of God, and this is not the healthy fear of God. Then there is excuses. He said, Who told you you were naked? The Lord's omniscient. He knew all these things anyway. Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? already knew the answer to that one too. Okay, But he is down here talking with his creation. And the man said, that woman whom you gavest me, to be with me, she gave me from the tree. And I ate. His answer, one word in Hebrew. And I ate. Okay? What goes of the sin nature? Excuses. Right? What goes of the sin nature is not on your your chart? Anger. There's some anger in that. God, you gave her to me. And if you wouldn't have done this, I wouldn't eat. eaten. So you got fear, you got anger, and you got guilt. Our little chart, we've gone through multiple times. Whenever we have these goals, human goals set up, and they get blocked, what results? Fear, anger, guilt. That's where it comes from. It's our sin nature. There are triggers when we run into them. when we find ourselves in wrongful fear, unrighteous anger, and living in a guilt complex over a sin that's been forgiven. Okay? We need to stop and say, am I walking in the light? Because the answer is no. <laughs> We're not. Make the adjustments. Confess it. Stay in tune enough to realize what what is going on. In verse 17, after the curses laid out on the serpent, curses laid out on the woman, and curses laid out on the man, what we find in verse 17, to Adam he said, "...because you have listened to the voice of your wife, and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat from it." They have a damaged marriage. There are no perfect marriages after this. There are none. Some look good on the outside. Some learn how to put up facades. But there's two damaged people living under the same roof. What's the problem? The sin nature. What has to happen? What needs to happen? At least one of them needs to be put in check long enough to become spiritually sane. Because letting your sin nature run you is spiritual insanity. Now, I could go through and document that too, but it's spiritual insanity. So, we don't need the sin nature to run our life. We need the Word of God to run our life. And when that happens, then we start to grab hold of that which is life indeed. So, where do these things come from? They're, they're, They're inherent and they're in all mankind. Now, what happens whenever you start looking to the world to solve spiritual problems? They just get worse, right? Are there such things as Christian counselors? Yeah. What do the good ones do? They point you to the Word of God. What do the bad ones do? Point you to secular psychology. How do you tell the difference between the two? Do they take you to this book... And say, see right here? What do they do? Encourage one another, it says. Love one another, it says. Build up one another, it says. Do not take into account a wrong suffered. I mean, it teaches us what to do, but whenever... We're, okay, now what you need to do is you need to count to 12. Okay, because you're really mad. You would only need to count to 10 if you weren't quite so mad. But you need to count slowly to 12. Okay? And then stop, process, figure out how you're going to respond. Oh, And then what do you do? You go get a self-help book where you can learn to control yourself enough. You know what good psychology is? It has a good. It identifies problems. Because they study people well enough to identify problems. Where it's bad is they don't have any real solutions. They got band-aids for an arterial bleed. And what happens when it infests a culture because they set aside the word of God? We're watching it now. We're watching it now. So, the lures of evil and the deceit is going back to the very uh, crux, the blocking and tackling. Where did it come from? We all have it. We all need to do battle against it. We identify the enemies and we don't give him an inch of ground. Occasionally, we'll get eaved. Okay, we'll get faked out. Occasionally, we'll lose our concentration. Was it say fatigue makes cowards of us all? Occasionally, we will just say, "The hell with it! I don't want to do it." Okay. Hopefully, that won't happen very often. But when it does, we go. Time out. I need to confess this. First John one nine, By First John one eight. If we say we have no sin, singular, we're a liar. The truth is not in us. That's that's right at the heart of confession of sin. Right at the heart. So that's where we need to head. To work on it more. Realize it in ourself. and continue to uh, try and defeat, uh, try to win win more battles, I guess the best way to say it. Let's try to win more battles. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for this day, for your grace and your mercy. We thank you for all you've done. but Father, we thank you that your word tells us our problems and tells us the problems of the world. And Father, while we're so interested in at times on fixing the world, we would love to do that. And Father, we also know we can. I pray that we would, we would continue to work on us, that the Holy Spirit would continue to convict us concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Father, I pray also that uh, we would indeed be willing to reach out to others to try and help. But let us reach out with your word and what your word has to say. That's why we need to know it. And I pray we would know it, we would remember it, and we would use it to your glory and not ours. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.